0: In nutrition is also accepting the fact that imperfection is part of the process, that when you hit that speed bump, when you have the weekend that went off the rails, that is not the reason to stop, that you're expecting that. That means that you're human. (laughs) Welcome to the club. And you get to start again on Monday.
1: That was E.C. Sinkowski, And this is The Prime Podcast.
0: Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. I met
1: my I met my I met my pride. Whoa. And welcome back to the Prime Podcast. Today we have another special guest, E. C. Sinkowski. Mm -hmm. who runs Optimize Me Nutrition, and she has a ton of experience and knowledge in nutrition and training and a whole bunch of different things that she's seen over the last 20 plus years. And we're grateful to have her on the episode. And we're really excited to bring another perspective on nutrition to you. And one of the great things about EC is that she does a great job simplifying some of those complex topics that we all struggle with. So Mm -hmm. EC, glad to have you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Yeah. So when I was talking about simplifying, I know at our gym, which is probably movement and performance, that we have done the 800 gram challenge in the past. Mm. So take me down kind of the road, like what, what's your experiences a little bit and how you got in really involved with nutrition and then where did some of these, you know, 800 gram challenge, lazy macro, mm. some of these, your principles of nutrition, where did they kind of come from or stem from?
0: You said I'm good at simplifying. Let's see if I can simplify some of my history.
1: Uh, I mean, sometimes yes. it's like, I got to combine like 50 years of experience or 30 <laughs> years of experience into one thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I always had an interest in kind of the biological life sciences. My BS degree is in pretty much biochem engineering. And then my first master's has a focus in genetics. So heavy in biology. And I was always very active. So I was doing sports stuff. Um, that kind of led me down a different career path, but eventually found CrossFit. And then With their sort of emphasis on nutrition as the foundation and my sort of biological background, I would say that was what really kind of tipped me off into, you know, nutrition specifically and just understanding its importance. And that was circa 2006 for me. So that kind of began the whole nutrition journey. And I ended up going on for a second master's degree in 2016, 2017 era-ish. And um, that's ultimately what launched my company. But I just sort of saw this huge opportunity to really help people focus on some fundamental aspects of diet and lifestyle that I think just really can pay dividends in terms of health and quality of life and even performance. So that's kind of the background on the nutrition interest. In terms of the 800 gram challenge, you know, over the years with CrossFit and just my own experience in kind of the fitness realm, you know, I I always describe it like I feel like we're sort of in the spin cycle of a, a washing machine and that we go round and round on these different diets, right? And the next one comes out and you keep thinking everything you thought you knew was wrong and, and that type of thing. And so I'd kind of been through a lot of those cycles by the time I got kind of more of an advanced degree. And so I was trying to just think of different ways that we can simplify nutrition and kind of bring some of these themes together. And, and so that was sort of always in the background of my thought process, Ultimately, the 800 gram challenge came up as a way to measure quality in the diet. You know, when people say, oh, I eat pretty clean, you know, I eat paleo 80 20, it was sort of like, well, how, what do we mean by that? How do we measure it? And so I was playing around with a couple of different diets at the time and happened to run into a study that was looking at fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. And they found that the 800-gram number um, was associated with lower risk of cancer, let's see, stroke, cardiovascular disease, mortality. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. What if what if I made that into a diet, right? What if I focused on eating 800 grams of fruits and veggies and didn't really worry about other things in the diet and see what happens, right? And so I played around with it for about six months, kind of collecting data on it. What are the rules? What's included? What are yes, no things? You know, all the questions that people are going to ask. Yeah. And just found that it was a really simple way to hold myself accountable to a baseline level of quality in the diet without being overly burdensome or, you know, obnoxious or micromanaging. So I launched that publicly in 2018. And and to kind of wrap up this sort of long winded answer here, you know, the 800 gram challenge is certainly my leading message. But my ultimate message in the space is not the 800 gram challenge or lazy macros. It's these ideas that why do these principles work? Right. And and that's sort of coming back to what I first started out by saying that we're in the spin cycle is helping people understand that there's some fundamental truths in nutrition that we're trying to get after with all these different diets. And I think the 800 gram challenge helps people do that in a simple way. So, yeah, I, I hope that was, it <laughs> was pretty clear. No, no, I
1: mean, it, it's, it's, that was very good. I, I mean, I, I love all of that. And I think part of what you're saying is you're, you're hinting at your 10 principles of nutrition mm-hmm. that kind of are your leading, are your leading guide towards these different things. And if you look mm-hmm. at paleo, keto, Atkins, you mm-hmm. know, if you go down vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, all these different things are, are just trying to get people to essentially get eating health eating whole, more mm-hmm. whole foods. And if they're trying to lose weight, getting into some sort of caloric deficit and mm-hmm. do all like, you know, we, we talk about when, you know, success leaves clues and different people talk about professional athletes and how, for the most part, people are doing generally the same thing. Mm-hmm. And for most of these diets, they're generally looking, their overarching themes are generally the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that's what, when we're talking about those leading things. I just want to go back a little bit. CrossFit 2006, sure. you said? Yeah. <laughs> that's a early, that's your you're an early OG of CrossFit. That's, that's early. Yeah.
0: My yeah. first CrossFit workout, CrossFit Boston, they were probably, I think, the 15th affiliate, uh, January 2nd, 2006, part of a New Year's resolution. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, a New Year's oh, a resolution too. Wow. <laughs> Wow. You yeah. remember the workout?
0: Oh yeah. It was Grace and they were renting out a yoga studio and um ended up going to my level one that year and starting on seminar staff that same year. It was of course a different system then, so it wasn't wasn't quite the same, but yeah, very, very long time ago.
1: Grace on the first day, huh? Yeah,
0: yeah. Scaled, of course. Scaled <laughs> of course, no worries. <laughs> they, wow. The wow. coach did it well, Neil Thompson. He he handled new beginners quite well. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a that's a tough workout to jump into. Yeah. So I think one of the things that you were talking about in there too, which is very, very interesting is you, you you took the 800 gram challenge and you studied it for six weeks and then kind of went through because whenever we run any sort of nutrition or lifestyle challenge at mm-hmm. our facility, people come up with the most ridiculous questions. <laughs> so can I eat this or can exactly. I eat that? Have you, have you ever eaten that ever in your life before? Right. And kind of like, what are some of those things that you would it kind of went through your head and like well oh, what does this conclude or, or how did you come up with some ways to to navigate what questions or how you know coming up with like a, a challenge that's probably do you have a number of how many people have tried or done the 800 gram challenge at this point
0: yeah I mean over 900 gyms at this point and just kind of based off of that as well as kind of my greater social media community I would say at least 15,000 yeah yeah so
1: you have like 50 like we're you know we're working with 150 people you're mm-hmm. t- you're, you're 10 times in that so mm-hmm. you know you the questions you might get are yes. <laughs> much more, you know, like from a bigger pool of people. So, how would you, how do you navigate, or how do you debunk, or figure out how do the, some of those questions that come out, and and what are some of the the more ridiculous ones, I guess, that you've come across? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I actually play with it not for six weeks, but for six months. Oh, and six it, months yeah. yeah, and it was it was to take the data on it to know, okay, how many calories is this going to be? How many macronutrients is this? Too many carbs. All of the things that basically, and, and this is where I can you know, really lean on what I did for CrossFit for so many years is I was answering nutrition questions for years at CrossFit. So I think I had a good idea of what people would be concerned with. And and to be honest, they were concerns that I had over the years as well, calories, macronutrients, carbs, all that stuff. But then I think what also happens is when you actually put your ideas into practice, when I'm playing with it for six months and collecting data, I run into the same questions. You know, do olives count? What about tofu? What about marinara sauce? How do you worry about salsa? All of that stuff. And so I think ultimately when you put your ideas to the test for yourself, you you see what questions there's going to be. And I don't think those are ridiculous questions. They're just, you know, are those fruits and vegetables or not? But I think I think that's where a lot of my questions do come from. I think there's been so many diets over the years with so many hyper specific rules that even defining fruits and vegetables has become somewhat challenging, you know, and I take a very broad approach to it. I allow potatoes, I allow beans, I allow olives and avocados. And, you know, people are quite surprised to hear that. And we have to remember that fruits and vegetables are often botanical or culinary classifications. They're not demarcations necessarily of nutrient uh, value. But so I just take a wide approach being like, hey, pretty much if you would describe this to a five-year-old as a fruit or vegetable, it, it counts for this challenge just to get people towards eating these low calorically dense items that have high micronutrient density. For sure. So the, those are a lot of the questions I get just because there's been, su- like I said, such micromanaging of the nutrition space that people are like, wait, I can have beans? And it's like, yeah, sure, go for it. Go, go with the banana, have the olives, we're going to be okay. I think some of the more cute questions that I might get are ones that ultimately people know, are not qualifying, you know, like, what about apples and apple pie? Or what about, Um. (laughs) you know, like pasta made out of beans? And it's like, yeah, I mean, they're from these items that we want to be eating, but we're trying to eat fruits and vegetables as fruits and vegetables, not fruits and vegetables products. And, and that's ultimately what we have happen, fall apart in most most of these kind of healthy products is they're truly products and they're not not the fruits and vegetables. So it's just always steering people back to like, would you describe this as a fruit or vegetable to a child? <laughs> and if so, it probably counts.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love that. That analogy and the idea of the, the micromanaging the new nutrition space. Like someone mm. just asked me the other day, have you tried this new red lentil pasta thing? <laughs> like, no, I don't really eat pasta. Like if I'm going to eat, you know, right. if I do, like, it's, like you said, like if I were to describe it to my six-year-old right here, it would be pasta. pasta. Like I wouldn't say this is actually a, this is actually broccoli, but it just looks like spaghetti. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a very, uh, a very way, good way to put it mm-hmm. and to give people that idea of doing those sorts of things. And I think, you know, you know, and then when I paleo was huge, mm-hmm. you know, probably 10 years ago when I was first getting into the CrossFit space myself, like everyone was like hardcore paleo and you, mm-hmm. could, you could have sweet potatoes, but you couldn't mm-hmm. have white potatoes, right? You could have brown rice, but you couldn't have white rice. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, like you're saying, like micromanaging these things and, they're actually, there's not much nutritional difference between some of those things. Correct. It's just the way that people traditionally eat white potatoes. You know, mm-hmm. if you're eating a baked potato with tons of sour cream and bacon and a loaded, you know, it's different. Totally. You know, white rice that they're finding now, like even brown rice might have some stuff that makes you a little gassy, right? Mm-hmm. More so than white rice. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that. that's, a, I mean, it's funny. I don't allow grains for the 800 gram challenge, although certainly they can be part of a, a of a healthy diet but you are right the white potato doesn't look very different than quinoa if you want to get down to it on a, on a calorie and, and micronutrient basis quinoa
1: is a superfood though uh,
0: i know <laughs> i know there we go but uh you, know, you do have to draw the line somewhere i was a aff- while grains can be part of a healthy diet and people also ask about nuts and, and those do not count for the 800 gram challenge. they certainly can be part of a healthy diet i was just afraid that with grains and nuts all of a sudden people would be eating you know peanut butter sandwiches telling me they're on their 800 gram challenge and i'm yeah. like okay now we've lost our way a little bit so so there are some rules around some plant foods that can be quite healthy but yeah it's just focusing on the basics of fruits and veggies
1: yeah and i think that like you said the, the easiest way is the you know keeping it keep it simple you mm-hmm. know like if, if we have to over think about it and like you said i'm gonna have a peanut butter sandwich it fits it fits into my macros right right and i think that's a big one too where people are like well this fits into my macros i can have this that and the other thing
0: yeah and there's some interesting you know to some degree, that's right. You know, to some degree, if it fits, it fits. The the problem is we can't just have a diet of, you know, like you said, peanut butter sandwiches all day, we're missing out some key nutrients that we want to and, and so this is what I try to bring to this space is you know, it might be a little cheeky, but I say all the time, let's go ahead and use that word. And, you know, we don't only have to eat peanut butter, jelly sandwiches. And we don't only have to eat fruits and vegetables. We can do both. You know, we don't only have to think about calories and only macronutrients. We have to look at both. You know, it's not only about micronutrients, you know, we also have to look at calories. So it's just the idea that we can have competing things happening in a diet and it can be successful.
1: Yes. Yeah. And And one of the things that I think that brings me to kind of some of these other topics that we've talked about here before with a couple of other staff members who've been on and hung hung out. And we were talking about folks who struggle in different environments. Mm. And one of the things that, you know, having a poor food environment where Mm. I'm trying to make a change, but maybe my significant other is, or my family isn't involved with the process. How would you coach somebody through those poor food environments where yes, I want to make this change. I want to start leading a healthy lifestyle, eating more whole, minimally processed foods and Mm -hmm. all all the great things that come from that. But my situation or my environment is just, it's just making it so difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly hard with significant other or um, family because you're not really just able to up and leave. You know, the recommendations I give, I'm not really big into convincing or telling people what to eat. So I You know, assuming there's enough pushback from the family or the significant other with some basic conversations, I don't think you're going to get very far by much more convincing or sending articles, that type of thing. What I would try to do is try to create boundaries within your space. And that could even be, you know, a shelf on the refrigerator or a certain cabinet um, and to create as much boundary around meals that are autonomous. And I think in most houses, you know, breakfast, lunch, all the way up till dinner are on your own for most intents and purposes. And I, I think Yes, it's going to require a little bit more self-discipline and motivation, but certainly at least for those meals, I think you can come up with some ideas that are satisfying to you and can you know, help you stay on kind of your path. Dinner and kind of shared meals gets interesting. I think there can be some give and take. Maybe you suggest, hey, I'm going to make dinner tonight. How do you feel about X? And And maybe it's not the most perfect paleo version of it. Maybe it's a halfway in between, you know, maybe it's cauliflower rice instead of rice or something like that i don't know but that can be an option too to kind of take off some of the burden of the cooking and and then other times just go with the flow you know if it's pizza night and it's with the family like it's okay you know you can have pizza in your diet and and to not be always so fastidious about it but i do think there's a lot of power in uh, people learning by seeing, you know, if you're kind of living this healthy lifestyle and, and maybe losing weight or feeling better, or your health markers are getting better and you're not making it this preachy thing and you're not looking like it's so overly burdensome and it's just so terrible and you're making it enjoyable and doable. I think you're going to have more of the family members or significant others going, Hey, you know, like maybe I'll try that versus if you come down on them and try to send them some article about hyperinsulinemia and, you know, <laughs> force feed them, I don't know, steam tofu. I mean, it's going to be a harder sell. And so yeah, sure. that that's kind of my recommendations, although certainly easier said than done. I appreciate that that's a difficult situation.
1: Yeah. One of the, I, I did, I mean, I guess I didn't think of that in terms of those, I, I, they really are pretty autonomous meals, your breakfast and mm-hmm. lunch, you know, mm-hmm. and for the most part, like you said, you can make those happen. You know, sometimes. You know, if you have a if you have children, maybe you're up before everybody and you mm-hmm. eat breakfast before the kids wake up. So, you know, or you so our my my structure is a little different. Like I'm out of the house early because I'm at the gym, and my wife has breakfast with the kids. So my breakfast is different. And yeah. so that's like almost you know, if we did that every day, it's two thirds of your meals. Right? Exactly, so that's sixty seven percent of your meals is could be pretty darn good. And like you said, if you if you have pizza night, or if you have your guys are eating takeout or whatever with the family, that other meal. Yeah, as long as you're not going crazy and eating a whole pizza, you Mm -hmm. know, it should be, it could be pretty a good alternative to just at least get those two good meals in, you know, and and then work in that work to make some adjustments to making those dinners maybe a little bit healthier than they were before. Totally. I definitely like that idea.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on what people's caloric needs are. But, you know, just on my own diet, as an example, I have at least 800 calories that I sort of have flex with in the sense of I can choose what to do with them after I've had an 800 gram challenge and hit adequate protein, you know, that's, I can go out to a takeout place and do just fine with 800 calories. Right. So I think people don't always realize that if they keep a certain amount of their diet on point, they do have this flex, fun food, whatever you want to call it, that they could, you know, do the quote normal thing with the family. It doesn't always have to be this combative sort of environment.
1: Yeah. The flex fun food. Yeah. (laughs) But eight hundred calories can go pretty quick if you if you aren't, you know. uh, I I guess what what would be some suggestions if you were going for some flex fun food? Yeah. And if you're going out, you know, because you can get a Starbucks latte for like quite a few calories, and that's you know that's probably. I mean, yes, you can do it, but it might not be the best use of. your flex fund there.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. And I mean, and this is what I try to do a lot on Instagram and I try to encourage people to do is just just take five minutes and Google the the place that you're about to go. Most of them all have the nutrition information. You're going to be shocked that, you know, you can buy a cookie at a bakery and it's 800 calories. Wow. Um, do you really want to spend your budget there? It's it, I like to compare nutrition a lot to finances. You know, if we want to understand what's going on in our budget, we have to track on some things and we have to learn where we're spending our budget. And it's the same sort of thing. And so, you know, you don't have to be Fastidious in the sense of always counting every single calorie every single day. But yeah, I mean, you can go ahead and look ahead and it's like, okay, well, maybe we're going to some Mexican place and I, I won't do the entire you know, basket of chips and salsa, but I'm going to get the dinner that I want. You know what I mean? You are still going to have to make some changes. It can't just sort of be the garbage pail approach, um, mm. But but certainly you can figure out some ways that you can still have the foods that you enjoy. It's just not an unlimited quantity of the foods we enjoy.
1: For sure. And I thought one of the things that that was kind of, you had on an Instagram post, I don't know if it was a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, but you had the comparison between a regular Whopper and the, mm. the vegan Whopper mm-hmm. and how they're pretty much the same yeah, in terms of nutritional. And people are like, well, I'm, I'm making a healthier choice because it's the Beyond Burger Whopper. right?" And how, you know, just because we're being vegan or just because we're being paleo or just because we're doing whatever, fill in the blank, doesn't always mean that that choice is quote unquote, healthier, mm-hmm. you know, just because you have a Justin's peanut butter cup versus oh. a Reese's peanut butter cup doesn't make it any better because it's using organic peanut butter and different types of sugar, you know, so like mm-hmm. those sorts of things were, I thought it was very interesting. And and like you were saying, just being conscious of, you know, the choices that we're making and that knowing what you're eating and taking the five seconds to Google it because all those big companies have all that stuff on their websites.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's it's something that's actually really hard to convey about nutrition is that any single choice doesn't matter. It's the collective choices that matter. So with that burger post, you know, whatever, we could argue about whether or not the plant protein really matters, but when you collectively look at when you have it with the bun and the toppings and the fries and the soda, it's, it's, it's a wash. There's, (laughs) there's no difference, you know, in terms of the caloric load from that meal. And so it's hard because we make individual choices. Like what am I actually having for lunch today? But it's not any one of those single pieces that matter. It's what's the overall nutrients you got today in terms of macro and micronutrients. And of course the caloric load from the, from the macronutrients where we have to kind of keep our focus. Um, And I think people get a little bit lost in each of the individual choices and missing that overall big picture.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. That one thing people think like, oh, I can't have that slice of pizza today. It's going to crush mm-hmm. everything. I'm like, no, you're, you're not going to, you know, gain, you know, lose all your progress from going right. out to dinner one night or going out for drinks one night. You know, it's when they become, you know, we had, we had a, a woman, Susan Niebergall on it a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about you know, if you go off for a special occasion, special occasions, you can do whatever on a special occasion, but when mm-hmm. special occasions start turning into every Friday and Saturday, exactly. they're no longer, first of all, they're no longer special occasions. Right. Really, like th- that just becomes your habit of that. You're no longer following through with any of those sorts of things. So it's just exactly. a very uh, good way to p- put it. So you talk mm-hmm. about weighing and measuring food a little bit, right? mm-hmm. you kind of sprinkled it in there a lot. Mm-hmm. And then you were talking about, on the flip side of it, if I'm quote unquote, trying to convince somebody. I, I don't want it to look hmm. overly burdensome mm-hmm. as I'm doing it. But when some folks first start to weigh and measure food, they freak out because it is a little bit burdensome. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh, I got to weigh all this stuff. And it's like, just try it for a week. And like, yeah. it's better. You know, it, it does get easier. Yes, initially, if you've never looked at a food label before, mm-hmm. going grocery shopping and looking at food labels might take you a little bit of time. Totally, And, and so I guess what would, so it's not, I think there was a, you made a post too about, it's not that the diet doesn't work. It's that the diet you tried wasn't the correct Mm. one or some, some sort Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. phrasing like that. So I think some folks, they, they try to go, you know, zero to a hundred real quick and they're not quite ready for a hundred. So how do you give folks something that might not be too burdensome right away, but also give them like kind of like that step-by-step approach in in terms of getting to the point where like, okay, weighing and, and measuring isn't so bad. And like, checking what we're eating isn't so bad and and things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my basic progression is for people to start with the 800 gram challenge. And that is my lead message. Yes, there is some measuring to it, but they're not doing a ton of tracking and they even can estimate it and they have no eliminations. They can continue to eat whatever else they want. So, to me it's sort of like the softball to nutrition right like we we are going to have to have some fruits and veggies in our diet that's sort of a non-negotiable for me and so that's where i start people and hopefully with that practice and some results, they get a little bit of motivation to maybe make the next step or make it a little bit more exacting. Now, I actually think a ton of people can have just success just focusing on the 800 gram challenge, but if they have specific goals or they aren't seeing the results they want, that's when I move on to lazy macros where I also add a protein target. Again, they're not eliminating anything, but they're just focusing on getting enough fruits and veggies and enough protein. And And then the third step from there is then to do macros. And I really encourage people to do macros if they're super frustrated with their diet, if they haven't seen the results that they want from, you know, 20 other diets, because it's kind of like I was saying before, you know, I like to compare nutrition to budgeting. You know, if you're struggling with your budget, the first thing you have to do is do an audit like, what's my income? Where am I spending it? Where all the dollars are going. And so macros is the same thing. I certainly don't really like to start there. (laughs) If we can get success with less work, great. But once you've done a ton of work and don't have success, then yeah, we're going to need to dig in and and do the work to figure out why.
1: I love it. I love it. No, I do. Oh, like cramping up my hamstring. And uh, so fruits and veggies do, we're just trying to hit the whole day, right? Mm -hmm. 800 grams. So like if I don't have fruits and veggies at breakfast, Mm -hmm. Is it a big deal or should I try to hit some fruits and veggies at every meal? Because a lot of folks are like, oh, I can't, I don't even know how to have veggies at breakfast. Like, right. how do I do that? Is it something that you try to get people to do or is it just a, like we talked about, a cumulative effect, like yeah. that's you get 800 grams in a day?
0: The idea is to just do it across the day. 800 grams is about, you know, fills up a full dinner plate. So it's not just going to happen spontaneously if you don't think about it, but it's certainly doable. Um, I don't require that it has to be a certain amount of vegetables. In fact, if you wanted to do it on all fruit, that's okay. Even what people say about sugar, believe me, they're wrong. You can do grams of fruit and you will be fine. Um, and it, I just encourage people to include it across the day. Oftentimes I see, and this is true with a lot of diets, is that people try to game the system and it's exactly in that attempt to game the system that they don't get the results they want. And what I mean by that is I've had people who will be like, well, I'm going to get the Instagram challenge done by lunch and then I can eat whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the, whatever you want, it's the pint of ice cream or the the six pack of beer. That's the problem. And so if we just take what I call a normal approach (laughs) and try to have fruits and vegetables at our main meals, it ends up being about two cups at each main meal. I think the diet falls better in line than if you were trying to skew it in either direction. That being said, it's meant to be flexible. There are certainly some times I've gone out for a brunch. I don't have any grams and then yeah, I just finish. you know, I have it at at lunch and dinner and and that's fine too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that gaming, the system is always funny (laughs) because it's, it's, it's always interesting when folks do that and they do that, you know, like you've been in the training space. We talked about you've you've been in CrossFit for a little bit and you've, Mm -hmm. you've been doing this for 20 years and people come to you for nutrition help or nutrition guidance or training help. And then they find ways to manipulate it. So mm-hmm. they have to gain the system and then they don't, they're not getting the results they want, but at the same time, they, they come to you for help, but right. then they find ways to make shortcuts to, so it's always like this backwards idea and trying to convince folks like, Hey, what, well, like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we really trying to, do this nutrition thing if you are just trying to find workarounds or you're trying to make paleo brownies or paleo cookies or pale, you know, or vegan, you know, black bean brownies and all this other kind of stuff. Like, why are we, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. And how much stuff do you, do you find that those folks who are gaming the system, like, how do you navigate those conversations or what does that look like in terms of folks who are, who are working through that in ways like, Oh, I'm just going to, Eat all these 800 grams at breakfast, and then I'm going to crush the rest of my day, however. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it kind of comes back to my principles, but I, we go through this process in my master class where we kind of collect data and we, we look at what the 800 gram challenge gives us in terms of calories and macros. We do that with protein, we do that on the whole diet. And I just present the truth. Hey, guys, calories matter for weight. Hey, macros matter for battery composition. Micros matter for health. And then you decide what you want to do with that data. I, I try to present nutrition in a way. I'm not particularly, I said this already, I'm not particularly interested in trying to convince you to do anything. You can have paleo brownies if you want, but you might have to cut back on the paleo brownies to get the weight goal that you want. And so I give them the information and the tools for how they can manipulate their diet in the way that they want to, given some fundamental truths that are kind of non-negotiable. And then they make the choice. And and this is where a lot of nutrition you know, somebody said this before and now, I just keep re-saying it. It's like, nutrition is all about trade-offs. You know, you have to decide what level of interest, adherence, you know, data collection, whatever you're willing to put in to get the goals that you don't have. And, and that's just your choice. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. I'm not going to convince you, but here's what you have to do. If you want to have the paleo brownies, sure, this is what the rest of the day needs to look like to accommodate the paleo brownies.
1: Right. And what, what was that? You said cal- calories matter for weight. Macros matter for body composition
0: and then micros matter for health. Now that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but um, it's a way for people to understand kind of that idea of using the word and like, yeah, calories matter. And it matters how they're distributed across the macronutrients. And did we get enough vitamins and minerals and fiber and phytochemicals today? And those are sort of, those are my three or technically the top four principles that I have. And it's sort of like, if you don't agree to these principles, I'm probably not the nutrition coach for you. <laughs> I would say that they're pretty, you know, well grounded in science, but these are kind of the truths that we can't get around. And so then we just look at our diet and we say, "Okay, well, which ones are out of whack for me?" A lot of times for people, you know, the calories are too high and specifically calories from carbs and fat from because they're the foods that are delicious and tasty. And so we typically have to increase the protein relative to what we're eating, increase the fruits and vegetables relative to what we're eating to pull out calories Calories from carbs and fat from some of these processed
1: food sources. Right. So in calories matter for weight, we're talking cal- caloric deficit, right? So if mm-hmm. you're trying to lose weight, mm-hmm. so you need to obviously consume less calories than you're using in a day. Yep. And if you want to gain weight, it would be the opposite. You want yep. to, try to have more calories than you're you're, you're using in the day. And yep. then macros for body comp. Can you be a little bit more specific and tell folks like what do you? The, the macros, if, if we're not familiar, are carbs, proteins, and fats. And like, mm-hmm. how would we adjust those for different types of body compositions maybe we, we might be looking for or something? Sure.
0: Yeah, typically I recommend people have 0. 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And so that's kind of the lazy macros component. So if somebody's doing the 800 gram challenge, they're getting their 800 grams of fruits and veggies, the next step would be to add a protein target. And when they're doing that, I've called that lazy macros. And that's to hit 0. 0.7 grams of protein per pound of body weight. And if they have, you know, 20, 30 p- pounds or more to lose, then they're going to want to use their goal weight, not their current weight. Um,
1: Which is an important uh, factor, yeah, right? a
0: distinction. Um, and that helps, especially if they're doing training, that helps them put on or keep lean mass, right? And it's going to be dependent on if they're doing some training and also their genetic capacity to do that. And oftentimes what happens is is people aren't close to that or aren't close to that consistently. And so this is a way that, you know, we can, maybe they were looking at 2000 calories a day and they'll stay at 2000 calories a day, but we'll find that their protein will increase and their carbs and fat will decrease within that total number of calories. It's kind of a redistribution of the calories for macronutrients that are going to be more favorable to the body composition they want. Because when people talk about weight loss, they don't actually mean weight loss. They mean fat loss, right? They want to retain their lean mass. And lose the body fat. And so this is how we do it. We kind of preferentially make sure that we have enough protein. Now, in terms of body composition or weight loss, the ratio between carbs and fat really don't matter. Their total caloric consumption does. Certainly that ratio would matter for performance or maybe even, you know, health in the sense of where are we getting our nutrients from. But in terms of fat loss, you know, as long as we have enough towards protein, you know, we're going to, we're going to bias that fat loss.
1: For sure. So you start with proteins like the, the starting point, and then you build the carbs and fats off of that sort of.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I kind of do this whole process in reverse. Like I said, I start with the 800 gram challenge. I don't even tell them what number of carbs to hit just 800 grams of fruits and veggies. They sort of do what they like. Some people end up being a little bit lower carb just based on their preferences. Other people are going to be higher carb. Then I add the protein target. So again, kind of depends on what their choices are. Some people are going to be higher fatty cuts of meats. Other people are going to be lower and then from there i still don't actually instill targets yet my third step is i then have them record everything else that they're eating so then they'll have their fruits and veggies they have their protein foods and then they have you know nuts cooking oil chocolate wine whatever and we see where their total calories fall and we see where their car um their macronutrient ratios fall and based on that data and their goals is then when i am like okay well let's look at where we have flexibility hey you want to lose fat your protein's pretty low let's up The protein. Let's take out some carbs and fat. We're not going to take out the carbs and fat from fruits and veggies because we know that we want that quality food. So let's say we have flexibility. Well, let's stop having so much bacon and brisket. Let's get in some lean chicken. You got free up some calories there. Okay, you like chocolate, we can keep that, but maybe we can't have the ice cream and the chocolate. Let's free up some calories there. And so it's sort of more of a, hey, what are you currently doing now? Let's take a look at your preferences. Let's take a look at your habits and then tweak from there. Versus coming in and saying these are the three numbers to hit, do it. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, it makes it makes perfect sense to me. Great. And and, um, one of the things that I I thought was one of the best kind of analysis is for a like a yo-yo dieter. Mm. I can't remember. I saw it at a presentation. I can't think of the person right now. Cosgrove, the Alan Cosgrove's wife. I can't think of her name though. Okay. Rachel. And she was talking about yo-yo dieting and talking about people who lose a lot. Mm. And what you talked about before, which is an important part, is to be able to, while you're losing weight, aka you want to lose fat, mm-hmm. right? To be able to put on or keep the lean muscle mass. But a lot of people, when they go through these yo-yo diets, mm-hmm. they lose both. Mm-hmm. And then when they gain weight back, they gain back just fat. fat. Yeah. And then they go lose again, and they lose both because they mm-hmm. keep going through the cycle. And then after you know, 5, 10, 20 years of yo-yo dieting, their, their their body composition is significantly different than when they started before.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I
1: think that's a, an important part that I want to emphasize is like, when you lose your the weight that you're trying to get to, that being able to keep on or put on, if you're, if you're starting a strength training program to begin with, if you're mm-hmm. able to put on some muscle mass, mm-hmm. it's going to be huge. And, and as E.C. was saying, like the, the protein is where a lot of people fall short. Correct.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sort of see it as we kind of have two underrepresented food groups. We kind of have the fruits and veggies are underrepresented and then protein. And I, my protein multiplier is not that high relative to some and kind of the the functional fitness space. Definitely, people can swing up closer to one gram of protein per pound of body weight, especially if they're kind of like a pipe hitter, really going after mass gains. Yeah, I just don't find it sustainable for most people. Um,
1: yeah, I, and, I find that's hard to a lot of people when I first tell them. If I get, you know, if we have an in body here, and sometimes I'll tell people we start with their lean muscle mass. I try to be like, okay, can we hit one gram per lean lean muscle yeah. mass we currently have? And some some people are like, oh, how am I going to do that? That's totally. so high, you know. That's and that's not even, and that's probably ends up being around point seven right. of the body, you know. And and that's even high for a lot of folks. And do you recommend? I know we we haven't really talked about because we talk about whole foods a lot, but do you recommend sure. people take protein shakes and any supplementation yeah. or anything like that?
0: Um, yeah. Supplementation is an interesting word because it can mean something like a, a macronutrient supplement in the sense of protein, but it can also mean all the slew of our micronutrients or whatever other I compounds. I didn't want to talk about those too. <laughs> um, I'm You're fine. With the macro ones first. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm fine with um, like a, a macronutrient substitution and there can be multiple reasons to use them and protein powders I'm fine with for for that to either hit the target and, or I like them just for flexibility and sustainability, right? Like sometimes it's nice to be able to have a shake and walk out the door or mix it in yogurt or whatever it is. It's just mm-hmm. another way to have food in the diet. And so from that standpoint, I think they're great. And yeah, and I'll say, i will save the other supplement question for yeah. later, but yeah, the 0.7 number that, that I kind of put out there, you know, there's, it's in line with research that it's productive of sarcopenia, you know, the natural loss of muscle mass as we age, it's a little bit higher than some of that research. But okay, it's also in line with research that suggests, hey, where do we put on muscle mass with resistance training, which is a lot of the goals that people have, that I work with. And then it's also in the range of research where people retain muscle mass while in a caloric deficit. And then finally, my fourth kind of pillar for why I put out that number there is I can sustain it. You know, it's hard for me to put out a number like one gram of protein per pound of body weight if like I, I can't do it, right? <laughs> yeah, so that, that's where the number can't, comes from. It's certainly not going to be a perfect number for everybody and every goals. But, but I think for those reasons, it's a pretty strong number to start with.
1: Awesome, and I, th- I think that the things that you've talked about in terms of doing your own experimentation with things, mm-hmm. and then things that are sustainability like sustainable mm-hmm. for you or for clients or for whatever are, are two really big things. One, you know, we find folks in the training space and nutrition space or whatever putting out information that they've never tested themselves, so it's hard mm-hmm. to it's hard to teach someone where they should feel a squat if you've never squatted before. Mm-hmm. Or how, to, how how am I going to go through this workout if I've never done any of these things before? I don't have that exposure. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with like nutrition. Like I've tried a bunch of different things. I've been a vegan and, and you've probably ex- explored with a bunch of different things as well. I've been paleo, pretty strict. I've done a lot of different things. So I, I feel like I have a good base of, you know, things that were challenging or things that were difficult for me or things that worked really well for me. And, you know, you play around with those for a little bit of time. So you have that exposure and experience to be able to have context to talk to people about.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I see it a lot in the nutrition space is that people will do a new diet and they'll have the success in the 30 days or whatever. And then because of that success, that is the diet they now swear by. And it's sort of fine in the sense of like, okay, great, you know, many diets can work. But it's the lack of understanding of, of why that worked. And kind of, as you said, in the very beginning of this podcast, it's probably because they've reduced calories in some way and they're eating higher quality, right? Like, <laughs> there's not a lot of magic principles happening. And so that's what's a little bit frustrating is that people will, based on a very short experience, you know, swear by one method only and where we have some confusion. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, give them, give them another year and see where their diet is a year after that. And then let's go ahead and take the recommendations, right? Versus maybe the ultra strict 30 day thing that sure, quote, worked, but does it really work in any sort of meaningful length of time? And so I kind of would love it if we had sort of a year check on these things, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, you found the secret, but we're going to wait for a year and see if the secret's still applicable.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that I, and I, I see a, co- a couple different things that I maybe get your opinion on. One is that folks like you said, they have success with that and then they fall off the wagon. Mm. And then they they swore by that thing that worked, they go back and then it doesn't work the same. Mm. Did you ever see that? Where like they went like did something and then they, they kind of fall off and they gain whatever weight back or they, their body composition goes back because it was unsustainable for them. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, well, this really worked for me. You know, five years ago I did Weight Watchers and it really worked. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna go back to do Weight Watchers, but like how come it didn't work for me this time?
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it can happen for a few different reasons. So is your question, why does that happen or does,
1: well, yeah, both is why does, why do you feel it happens? And then like also do like expose like experiences with folks that are like that and how, I guess maybe we, they can maybe navigate or explain more why that might be happening to them. At
0: this yeah. Time. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why it happens in, unless you do macros, There is flex in the system. This is true for the 800-gram challenge. This is true for lazy macros. This is true for paleo, keto, pick it. If you're not really tracking all of your inputs, you can continue to have other things in your diet that are really the problem, right? Mm And that's why I said that if you don't have the results that you want from other diets, you ultimately need to go to macros, you need to do this full audit on the system. And so I think that's sometimes what happens when people go back to one of these diets from five years ago is that they've sort of found the loopholes, right? (laughs) They sort of figured out, oh, I can get my 800 grams in by lunch, and then I can have that ice cream, right? And so I think sometimes that's it, that, that the system isn't as tight as it was when they first started. I do also think it brings up another question, and a lot of the population that I work with is some of the effects of aging as well, that as we age, we need less calories with time. And so when you're 50, what you did at 40 does not work, and it's because you actually need to make the diet tighter. Um, so I think some of that is at play as well, um, You know, natural loss of muscle mass as well, maybe they're less active. Um, so yeah, I think those are kind of the big factors that would come into it.
1: And do, you, and do you, would you say that we have kind of like selective ignorance of our, mm. of our other, those other choices that we make? Like you said, it's not mm-hmm. as tight as it was the first time around. And we just like are selectively ignoring some of those other things. Well, I had, you know, oh, I, I forgot to put that. I had a, you know, a something from Starbucks today. I didn't put that totally. in my, That was just my coffee, you know, it's right. just.
0: Right. Selective yeah. Ignorance. So, um, there's some really great research about underreporting. You know, the, the people don't always say all of the things that they ate. And, you know, I don't think it's because we're always attempting to lie or to, you know, not say that we ate X amount of food. I think sometimes we just forget, like we, we don't grow up recording food. We don't re- grow up learning about calories and tracking everything that we eat. So it is a very unnatural process and as you know culturally it's just food is around us all the time maybe less in the pandemic time in the sense of there's not as many celebrations and stuff but you know what i mean like it's just sort of bite here snack there that it's very easy to lose track of these things yeah and um, and then of course there is some shame or guilt around food consumption so on average we find that people underreport by about 20% and so i think sometimes what happens is these diets is you know, they did the diet the first time and they were really strict and they were motivated and they stuck to it and they didn't have all these loopholes. And then the second time around, they figured out a few loopholes and they're like, yeah, I'm still adhering to the diet, but, but, you know, they found the way that they can still kind of have the foods that they, that they want to have and, and they're not quite as tight as tight on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And, and I think, you know, we don't, we have a little bit of time here. And so I'm going to, sure. I do want to come back around because you, it, we talked about it, but we I want to dig a little deeper into supplements in terms of mm-hmm. vitamins, minerals, and things like that. Mm-hmm. I know some some things have been coming out a little bit more frequently about the importance of you know a lot of folks are oh you know BCAAs and we do mm-hmm. collagen and put MCT oil in my coffee and all these all these different things that come out that are you know hit macros as well, but they also have all these micronutrients or phytonutrients that kind of help and aid different things in our body. So can Mm -hmm. we talk about that? What do you might recommend, what they do, and so on and so forth?
0: Yeah, I I don't recommend supplements of that nature at all. I do think there's some populations individually that perhaps there will be supplementation, maybe at a specific point in life, elderly or maybe pregnancy. But I don't have any supplements that I would just say everybody should take X at X dose. I, the only two supplements I put kind of broadly out there as the worth a shot are in the performance realm. And those would be caffeine and creatine. But I don't, even those, I don't really kind of swear by in the sense of everybody needs to do them. It's like, are you really a performance athlete? What kind of gains are you expecting? Okay, give them a shot and see what happens. Yeah, I think a lot of the research... I don't think all of the research is there for a lot of these popular supplements. In fact, I have a podcast coming out about collagen specifically. and I'll take collagen as an example. I actually use collagen. I use it because it adds a little bit of flexibility in hitting again my protein target. Like not every day do I want to have 120 grams of beef. And so, you know, I have these different things like protein powders and I even use some collagen to sort of help me get to this, to my target overall. So I use the product. But when you look at the research for like, What it actually does for quote skin wrinkles or joint pain, it's it's weak at best, and so uh, that's how a lot of the supplements come kind of fall out for me. Why I don't really recommend them. So I I'd like people to kind of really focus on making sure that they're having enough quality in the diet at the right quantity, and I think some of the noise with supplements will go away. And, And the kind of the last sort of sanity check on that is. You know, we have a lot of these cultures that are healthy without as much chronic disease or people even living to a long period of time with very simple health lifestyle practices and it's sort of like How are they doing this without the blue BCAA powder, right? And how are they doing this without all of the collagen powders? You know, I I think it's a little bit of a reality check of even supplementation wasn't popular before like 1930. It's like, how did we get to 1930 as a human species if these things were so essential?
1: Yeah. Collagen also does something for uh, stomach lining too, correct? Or intestinal lining? (laughs)
0: You know, collagen has amino acids like yeah. any protein. And so I think that's where we get a little bit lost is sometimes we think about these things that they're so specific to the food, when in reality, you know, you can get those amino acids from other foods. Now, there's this debate about whether or not the collagen peptide totally breaks down. And so we have these dipeptides, which might be more related to the skin. But, you know, collagen. Has, again, it's actually not a complete protein that doesn't have all of the essential amino acids and the quantities we need. So it's like, we can be getting these from other things besides collagen. And so, yeah, you know, you do need protein in the stomach lining, but we can get it from other places.
1: (laughs) And and just a a, a few things about Tori puts collagen in her coffee because Jennifer Jennifer Mm -hmm. Aniston puts I
0: don't actually, but that's (laughs) why I bought it. Yes. I I do though. Like I said, I actually, I had two scoops of collagen this morning in my coffee, but it's not because the evidence of wrinkles is so convincing to me. You know, it's because I just want some amino acids that will add to my protein target. Does that make sense? The slight nuance there?
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's where folks you know, like you said, like they think that, you know, BCAAs, I think that's been kind of debunked recently too, that they're Mm -hmm. so effective in terms of doing all these things and helping you gain muscle. And that's why people were taking them mid-workout and all that kind of stuff. Like I think some of the research that's come out recently has kind of said that BCAAs aren't really worth it, I guess. But the thing that you did talk about, I mean, coffee, not coffee, but caffeine and creatine are probably Mm -hmm. the most researched Like I know creatine is, was, has been researched a ton yeah. in terms of uh, any other dietary supplement that's mm-hmm. out there and there's the, some mental benefits from that as well. Are, mm-hmm. am I correct in saying that?
0: Yeah, I actually haven't looked much at mental benefits from it specifically, but it certainly has been well-researched in the performance space and it's not, you know, a hundred percent across the board, everybody will see dramatic effect from it. I think it's going to have to do with how much creatine is in the diet already, um, And so, as well as just capacity, as well as what kind of athletic pursuit the person
1: is doing. Capacity to store the creatine, you're saying.
0: Yeah, or just, you know, uh, their athletic capacity, right? Sometimes I think...
1: How hard you can go, right? There you
0: go. Yeah, more of the intensity piece. And I think, you know, I hate to say this because it makes it sound like I don't think people... Like, I put myself in this same camp of saying, I don't need any of this stuff. You know, I've been doing high intensity training for some time. I'm, you know, above average in most athletic standards. I don't need any of this stuff because it's like, am I driving any of my income off of professional sporting endeavors? No. So I don't need these 1% gains, maybe, you know what I mean? And so that's what I also like to kind of say with people. It's like, yeah, there's some evidence to suggest that this helps. Does it matter relevant to you? I mean, maybe it's a 2% gain, but 2% 2% gain for most people is so negligible relative to any sort of outcome they care about, assuming that they're not trying to win the CrossFit games. Right. So,
1: 100%.
0: you know, so sometimes I'm just like, okay, maybe there's an effect there for some people in some applications. Um, yeah. and just and to I'm, understand if that's your context and that matters for you.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. Like I've, I've been a college athlete. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I've, I'm a pretty decent CrossFit athlete, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm above average in most things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never really been big into supplementation. Like I've never really taken creatine. I, I, If I take protein powder, it's if I'm out and I buy a smoothie or something, sure. I add something in it, you know, it's like, it's very minimal at best. And so it's really interesting because, well, you know, I I also teach like high school physical education The kids are like, Oh, what, what protein do you take? Do you take, do do this, do that? I'm like, no, I just eat real food. Yeah. You know, I eat a lot of meat and a lot of vegetables and I, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just, that's all I've really done for a long time. And this is what I look like. I don't know what to tell you. There's no secret no. supplement. What kind of protein do you like? Like, I don't know any, they're all pretty much the same. Same, yeah. Don't yeah.
0: underestimate what 10 years of hard work and regular eating can do,
1: you know? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that though. <laughs> awesome. I th- there was a, there was, a, you had, you had talked about the well, the hard work part. Well, I mean, we'll talk, mm. we'll, we'll piggyback off of that because I think one of the things that folks struggle with a lot is a little bit, when things get a little bit uncomfortable, mm-hmm. they they put their tail between their legs and they kind of run off a little bit. Mm. And I think that happens, you see it in the gym when people are training, you know, folks will, you know, they get a little uncomfortable and then they, they take the, you know, the, the foot off the gas a little bit. And when they get uncomfortable in nutrition, it, it just, they end up, stopping doing whatever Mm -hmm. they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I I think you had a quote that said, like, you have to have a, you have to find a sustainable level of discomfort
0: Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. able
1: to achieve like your goals. Totally. Can you just, you know, like, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory, but just talk about like how, how much discomfort or how do we, how do you coach people through like, okay, you know, I have these hunger pangs, I have these cravings or I have these different things. Like how do I navigate or how do I manage these things so I can reach my goals?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's trying to have the highest level of discomfort that's sustainable. Uh, You know, if you want to change, we have to change what you're currently doing. You know, I have a big focus on sustainability because ultimately we need you to stick to it for a long period of time. But at the same time, we can't just keep sustaining what we're currently doing because that's going to only get the results that we have. So, you know, it is a little bit of a give and take in the sense of you might overshoot at first. And I think kind of with this whole idea about sustainability and picking discomfort, In nutrition, is also accepting the fact that imperfection is part of the process. That when you hit that speed bump, when you have the weekend that went off the rails, that is not the reason to stop. That you're expecting that. That means that you're human. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. And you get to start again on Monday. You know, and I I think that's where people get a little bit thrown off is they're expecting sort of this constant trajectory upwards or better. And it's like, no, it's it's that bumpy road, right, where the overall trend line is improvement. But we're going to have some step backs and then also moving forward. And, and so with that sustainable level of discomfort, it's like, okay, maybe you thought you could do a 500 calorie deficit and learn two days in that you're about to eat your hand. So let's make it 300 calories and see what happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's a, that's a big thing. Cause I think we have folks who somebody was talking in, in, in the gym the other day, uh, uh, he's like 210. Mm-hmm. uh, a, a larger male. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, I'm going to have like, I'm gonna eat like 1700 calories. Wow. And me and another guy were like, why, why would you do that? You know, <laughs> like, why, like what are your, like your BMR from the in body says you're at like 1900 right? You know, at least. So, right. and, and not that those are 100% accurate, but yeah, to yeah. such a huge deficit, sure. you're going to be ravenously hungry. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to result in potentially, uh, you know, eating all of those things that, are, like we, you talked about all those delicious things that are mm-hmm. high carb high fat and different things and just we need to find that sustainable way where i can eat quality foods throughout the day so i'm not so hungry mm-hmm. later on like you said eating off your hand is there is there <laughs> a specific if we are trying to get in a de- deficit you know like let's say we got to the point we did the, all these things and we did the 800gram challenge and we saw some results but we kind sure. of rumbled off and then we did the lazy macros we saw some results and leveled off again now i want to dive deep into it. Yeah. What is a deficit that you would like to see initially to kind of start folks off to, to kind of get them to make, make progress. And I feel like if you do too much too soon, one, you're going to be hungry. And then I think if you lose too much too soon, that can't be good either. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So assuming that I'm lazy macros, then they move on to macros and they're counting everything up. I I generally put out there as like, Hey, pick a 200 to 300 calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of, places put out there do the 500 calories a day because across a week, that in theory will be a a pound loss. It doesn't exactly work out that way, but fine enough for our our discussion purposes. The problem is, again, it kind of comes back to my experiences. Like I, I can't really sustain a 500 calorie a day deficit. I, I don't, I can't do it. It's too difficult. And so the recommendations I put out there are a little bit softer. Now the problem with that is it takes longer to see results, but If I can keep somebody from having that binge of the entire pizza and the chips or whatever it is, that's huge because those are those swings that ultimately set people back and undo the work that they were kind of, you know, building up across the week with the deficit. So I personally recommend a 200 to 300 calorie deficit. Now, if you have someone who's very large athlete, who's closer to 3000 calories or something like that, then a 500 might not feel as severe. But once you're kind of in this 2000 calorie range, I'm closer to kind of just a 10% deficit.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. You got to play the long game. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that if we're thinking about it, and that's one of the other things that I did want to talk about is that we've, our area has become like enamored with six-week challenge gyms, mm-hmm. and they, sure, you lose a, t- you, you starve yourself and you start training for the first time in your life and you lose a lot of weight, mm-hmm. and then like, then what happens? Right. And it's it just kind of, you know, it's kind of like one of those things that like grinds my gears a little bit is that you know. And the, this, the space that we're in right now is, is very, uh, in some ways it's hurtful mm-hmm. and not, you know, like to the, the overall like space of fitness and nutrition. And, and then some ways to that person, cause if we're just doing like biggest loser type challenges all the time, it's not, it's not educating the people or mm-hmm. it's not helping them. Yes. Maybe I, I was able to do that and go hard for six weeks, but can I sustain that
0: mm-hmm.
1: after the fact?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I sell challenges, so I I'd, I'd like to think that the principles I'm putting forward aren't the same as kind of the big, biggest loser and I do think that we kind of just have to look at the message that we're putting out, right? That if it's something that the person can't do past 6 weeks or that you're not expecting them to do past 6 weeks, then it probably isn't the challenge that we want to undertake. And then like if it's you know. something that's just sort of like, and I'm fine with challenges, there's some people that are really against challenges. I'm fine with challenges, not the biggest loser type ones that you've mentioned for the reasons I just said. But sometimes people just really like that motivation and accountability, just like they like going to a CrossFit class, right? There is something to kind of that group accountability, and we're all in it together that helps people. And if that helps you know, people get towards the next step, I I think it's valuable. Um, So I don't get too dogmatic about that. But it is like, okay, what is our challenge really saying? And is this something that we expect them to do after the 30 days? And if that's true, then okay, let's do it. And yes, guess what, you're going to lose some people and not everyone's going to do it. And some people are going to slide back, welcome to nutrition. (laughs) But as long as the intent is something that this should be continued past, I I think that they can have some nice positive effects.
1: Yeah, and I, I liked that going in with that. Kind of disclaimer in right. some way, saying like, "Hey, this is something that we're trying to do for for you know maybe not forever, but sure. for a long period of time past this six weeks. This is your this is your jumping board or your springboard mm-hmm. to into better health and wellness. This yeah. is your thing to like. Okay, we're going to do it together. Get you going. Get the ball rolling. And have the accountability there. Have the education there. And then afterwards, the intention is that you are going to keep this." train moving by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a really good way to address it and allow people the opportunity to, okay, like I'm not going to lose 50 pounds in, in six weeks. I'm going to, I might lose some, but really this is about this long-term venue. Yeah. Long-term Avenue that we're trying to pursue. And that's what the game is, right? That's mm-hmm. what the game is.
0: Totally. hundred percent.
1: So this has been outstanding. I I really appreciate coming on and having the conversation with us and all the information that you, you presented was phenomenal and I really enjoyed it. So if folks want to, they really love the stuff as much as I did, how do they find you? What do they do? Where are you most vocal and and present and all that jazz? Yeah.
0: Yeah. uh, OptimizeMeNutrition.com is the website, OptimizeMeNutrition on social media handles. And then I also have a podcast, The Consistency Project.
1: Awesome. It, nothing better than that. Consistency. Part. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I have to do this for that long period of time for sure.
1: Yeah. And then that's what we're, we're working on here. Trying to be as consistent as possible and bringing you guys some episodes with some great, great guests that give us some great information that are going to help you find your prime. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks again for tuning into another episode of the prime podcast. If you are enjoying the information we're putting out, Shoot us a quick review. Give us some feedback so we can continue to make these episodes and bring some awesome guests on to help you find your prime. Take care. Said I'm at my prime.